Good morning. If you have a Bible with you and want to open it up or scroll through your app, whatever you've got, uh, we are going to be in the book of Numbers today, Numbers chapter 20. That's the fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, um, Leviticus, and Numbers. And today we are wrapping up our series looking at key events in the life of Moses. And today we are going to be looking at the conclusion of the narrative about Moses and the conclusion of his life. And what we see, frankly, is really disappointing. It's not the ending we want. After all Moses has been through, after all he has experienced, after all the, the challenges and the hardships, after all that God has done through him, what we want to see is our hero riding off into the sunset, sitting tall in the saddle, and that's not what we see. Instead, our hero stumbles, and we have to watch him face the consequences of a big-time failure. That's how life often is, isn't it? Because we don't live in some Hollywood production where, you know, everything gets tied up neatly and nicely before the final credits roll. Um, no, we're fallen people living in a very fallen, broken world. And although those of us who know Christ, those of us who have come in place to put our trust in Him, although our ultimate future is glorious, sometimes in the short term, um, well, if, if we're not careful, if we are not careful to follow Christ day by day, we can mess things up pretty badly. You know, one of the ways the Bible describes the Christian life, there are several different pictures or images or, or metaphors used to describe what it's like to, to be a believer in Jesus. And one of those descriptions um, portrays the Christian life as a marathon. It's not a quick sprint to the finish line. It is instead a test of endurance over the long haul. And not only is the race long, but along the way, we will encounter, at times, some very difficult hazards that we need to avoid. And so we're going to look at the hazard that Moses stumbled over and learn some lessons about failure and about the grace of God. So, uh, Numbers chapter 20 there is a note sheet in your folder if you want to take some notes. Let me just catch you up to the story because we've just been kind of dropping in at key moments in Moses' life. We haven't looked at everything by any means. Um, but what, here's where we're at now. So, so God chose Moses and used him. He led the Israelites out of slavery in what was probably the most powerful nation on the planet at that point, the nation of Egypt. And they left 
And God did these amazing things, and they traveled through the wilderness to the very borders of the land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. But instead of going in and taking possession of the land as God told them to, they panicked and they rebelled. And as a consequence of their sin, God said that none of that generation, none of the people who had seen all of the miracles God had worked in Egypt, all the ways that God had provided for them through the wilderness, none of that generation would actually enter into the land of promise. But instead, they would die in the wilderness, one by one, over a period of 40 years, and their children would grow up, and they would go into the land. Meanwhile, Moses is still leading these people. After 40 years in the wilderness, and the time is drawing near to when the new generation is going to go in and claim the promised land. So here's where we are. Numbers chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. Miriam was Moses' sister, and this is representative of the previous generation dying off. It's a solemn note. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. This was sort of their standard operating procedure. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Just as an aside, if you actually go back and you read through the narrative to this point, this has a very ominous note here, because every time previously when the people have done this and rebelled and Moses and Aaron go and fall face down and the glory of the Lord appears, what follows is, is, has always been immediate and severe judgment now this is what happens this time verse 7 the lord said to moses take the staff and you and your brother aaron gather the assembly together speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water you will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink so moses took the staff from the lord's presence just as he commanded him he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of that rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough, to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he showed himself holy among them. 
Ah. What a bitter blow. After faithfully leading this cantankerous collection of complainers for 40 years with the goal of going into the promised land within reach, within sight, Moses blows it and is excluded from going in. Wow. Can one slip up really have such severe consequences? And if so, what are the implications for us? What what does that mean for our lives? What are the lessons we need to learn here from Moses' failure? Because, you know, the New Testament says that whatever was written down for us previously was written for our instruction, for our good, for our benefit. So what, what lessons do we need to learn here? I'll give you five. Coincidentally, there are five places on your note sheet to fill in if you want to. Lesson one, what matters now, what always matters now, is trusting God now. What matters now is trusting God now. What does it look like to trust God now, in this moment, in this circumstance? I emphasize that because it seems that many of us, many Christians, have a tendency to look back. And we look back to a prior experience of some kind, maybe a childhood prayer or baptism or confirmation or something. We look back as a way of evaluating our standing with God, our relationship with God. Now, let me be very clear. Faith does always have a beginning. But if it's real, if it's real, then that results in a life, a life of faith, trusting in God moment by moment. And the Bible never tells us to look back to evaluate our relationship with God. It tells us to look at now, trusting God now. Faith is a moment-by-moment walking with God from beginning to end. Romans 1.17, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Which means we can never afford to coast We can never afford to get lazy. We can never afford to just assume that past experiences, past victories, past triumphs will carry us through. It really doesn't matter how spiritual we've been in the past. If we stop being vigilant, if we just try to put it in neutral, we are setting ourselves up for failure. Moses had some absolutely incredible encounters with God. He had seen God's glory like no one else. 
And yet none of that past experience, none of that past success kept him from failing at this crucial moment. The issue is not what God did for you 10 years ago. The issue is not what prayer you prayed 20 years ago. The issue is not how close you were to God last year or how deeply you worshiped God last week. The issue is how's your relationship with God right now? What matters is trusting God now. Lesson two, sin is always a lack of trust in God. Did you notice how God evaluates, how he describes Moses' sin in verse 12? He says, because you did not trust in me enough. Well, I don't know, when you first read the story, in what sense didn't Moses trust God? I mean, did he not believe that God could bring water out of that rock just by speaking to it? I mean, did Moses think his staff was some kind of magic wand that actually had to make contact with the rock for the miracle to work? I really doubt it. Pretty sure that's not what happened. Uh, Dr. Ron Allen, Hebrew scholar, in his commentary, has a very interesting suggestion. He thinks that Moses may have thought that God in this instance was being too soft on the people. Because at other times when the Israelites rebelled, God brought some kind of immediate judgment. But here, God simply tells Moses what to do to get water, speak to the rock. And Moses seems angrier at the people than God is. And he calls them rebels. You know, and he smacks the rock with his staff as if they need a show of righteous wrath here. Now, if that's the case, then see, his sin came about, listen to this, it came about because he failed to trust God to do the right thing in this situation. He didn't think God could be trusted to handle this situation correctly. He thinks God isn't doing what God should do. That is a very common and incredibly arrogant thing to think. And people do it all the time. God's not doing what God should do. Beware. Beware of ever thinking you know what God ought to do in a given situation. But whatever actually was going on in Moses' mind and heart, we don't know. The point is very clear, it's stressed. He failed to trust God, and that's what led him to sin. And that is always, 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 always the case. Always. Whatever other factors may be contributing to the situation, if you peel back all the layers when we sin, at the core of it, there is always a failure, a refusal to trust God. Romans 14, 23. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Boy, chew on that for a while. Whenever we sin, whenever we sin, whatever the sin is, at some point we are failing to believe that God is good and that his ways are best. 
that he somehow does not have our best interests in mind or he can't know all of the, you know, complications here. He doesn't have my best interests or I know better than God. At some point, at some point, there's a failure to trust God, to believe that he's good, which means this, that in our fight against sin, which is a daily fight, the key is never to simply try harder. Well, that is such a common perception, and uh, man, I've been there many times. Just try harder, try harder, try harder. And it doesn't work. The key is not to try harder. The key is to know God better. The key is to remember His goodness. The key is to remember His love. The key is to remember His wisdom. Here's the thing. If sin ever looks better to you than following Jesus, you've forgotten who He is. I've forgotten who he is if I think sin's a better idea than trusting him. Three, forgiven sin still has consequences. Sin that is forgiven still has consequences. I heard about a father who wanted to teach his son about the effects of sin by having him take a board and drive nails into it. Every time the son disobeyed, father had him, you know, hammer in a nail. And then when he uh, admitted his disobedience and apologized, then the nail could be pulled out. Well, it didn't take long for the boy to realize that even though the nail was gone, it left behind a hole in the wood. And the point is, even when sin's penalty is removed, the scar it leaves behind may be very difficult to fix. Even after it's been forgiven. say, well, did God forgive Moses' sin? Well, clearly he did, because his sin did not separate him from the presence of God forever. It did not break that relationship. Um, That's what sin deserves, separation from God. Clearly, God forgave Moses' sin, but it did have a very unhappy consequence. It disqualified him from leading the people into the promised land, which means, so, gosh, I've done this. You've probably done it. It's so dumb. Whenever we tell ourselves, ah, this sin won't be that big of a deal because Jesus will forgive me. He's so gracious. He's so forgiving. Yeah, but he's also really good and really wise. And what we're doing is we're, we're fooling. The only person we're fooling is ourself. We think, my way will be better than his way here in this situation. What? You know, it's like if you just actually articulate it, you see how ridiculous it is. I know better than Jesus here? I know better than God. I'm more committed to my best interest than Jesus is. When we sin, we're failing to trust the one who is the most committed to your best interests. And that failure to trust him will have consequences, negative consequences. And no amount of tears or prayer will just make those consequences go away. Forgiven sin still has consequences. Number four, From whom much has been given, much shall be required. Jesus said that. 
Luke chapter 12. And I think this explains why Moses is disciplined so severely for, for his sin. I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I thought, wow, God, really? Really? After putting up with those miserable people for so long, after being so faithful, day after day, he makes one little slip up and that's it? No promised land for him? Does that seem kind of harsh? Well, we need a more accurate perspective. This was not an oops. This wasn't an oops. God wasn't disciplining Moses for some little mistake. You know, I use the word slip up, but uh, by that it does not mean, you know, he, he didn't know better. No, deep in his heart where only God could see, Moses refused to trust God. And that is a very serious thing especially for Moses, in view of his position. Moses was a leader. Leadership always brings extra responsibility, especially for those who communicate the word of God. Not my favorite verse in the world, James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So Moses was held to a higher standard because of his leadership role. And he wasn't just a leader. Moses received a greater revelation, a greater revealing of God and who God is than anybody else at that time. Look at Numbers 12. This is fascinating. God says something amazing here about Moses. Numbers 12, 6. When a prophet of the Lord, when a prophet of Yahweh is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So, Moses wasn't treated like everybody else because he was not like everybody else. He knew God better. He knew better. Now, I feel like that should really catch our attention. We who live after the coming of Jesus, after the word has been made flesh and dwelt among us, after the invisible God has been made visible, after the prophecies have been fulfilled, we, if you today are a believer in Jesus, we who know Christ, we who have been indwelt by His Spirit, we who have received the complete revelation of God, what excuse do we have for failing to trust and obey God? Well, I'm not sure God is good. Jesus on the cross for your sin to give you eternal life, to give you joy, to give you he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? We know he never holds out on us. 
we know he never intends evil toward us. If we're in Christ, he never condemns us for our sin. He disciplines us as a good father at times. From whom much has been given, much shall be required. And one more lesson, and this one's a lot more positive. God's grace is greater than all our sin. God's grace is greater than all our sin. I want to show you a couple of examples of this in Moses' life. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34, this is the last chapter in Moses' earthly life. Right after these words that we're going to read, Moses dies. So this is, this is the end. Deuteronomy 34 verse 1. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan to all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the, region, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. I don't know exactly how this happened, but God gave Moses an incredible vista of the promised land. He was finally able to lay eyes on this land that God had promised to Abraham, his descendants over 400 years before. The promise was finally coming to fulfillment after all the hardships and disappointments. This was a bittersweet moment because Moses now could see the land even though he couldn't set foot in it. But here's the thing, God didn't have to let him see it. God didn't have to let him see it. God didn't have to give him this moment. This is grace. And then it gets way better. Luke chapter 9. A day in the life of Jesus. An unforgettable day. The apostles all recorded it to tell us about it. About eight days after, the, after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So we call that transfiguration. Jesus' heavenly glory revealed to them. Now look at this, verse 30. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure and which he, was about to, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. So, Moses did not get to the promised land on foot, but he made it to the far greater promised land. And by the grace of God, in spite of his sin, in spite of his failure, Moses knows eternal joy. Face to face. Face to face with God. His sin was great, but God's grace was greater. And that's always true. 
That's always true for us, no matter what you've done, no matter how badly you've blown it, God's grace is greater. And you can have it if you want it. If you will turn from sin to Him and receive His grace. So, what happened to Moses is a warning to walk with the Lord moment by moment, to help each other walk with the Lord moment by moment, to trust Him always, to keep as far away from sin as we can. But his story is also a message of hope. Because even the best, life, best lives, even the best lived lives, still have regrets, still have failures. But if we know the same gracious God that Moses knew and still knows, then one day, we're going to take our place next to Moses. And we likewise will enjoy the glory of God. And we can go up and say, hey, Moses, what up, man? By the way, what were you thinking? <laughs> oh, no, that's the past. Let's, let's move on. Enjoy the glory of God forever. You can have that hope. But again, remember, what matters now is trusting God now. And so if your hope is built on, well, I did this a long time ago. Sin has a, or faith has a beginning, but it doesn't have an end if it's real. So how, how is it with you? How is it with you and God today? And if you know you need to come to him and you need to receive his grace and you need to say, Lord, I need to trust you now. He wants you to come. His grace is greater than sin. Revelation 22.3 The throne of God, this is speaking of the eternal destiny of those who belong to Jesus. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, the Lamb, that's Jesus, and His servants will serve Him and they will see His face. They will see His face. They will see his face. You, if you are in Christ, will see his face. Wow. Let's take a minute and let's pray. And as you think through those five lessons, maybe just ask, which is the one that rings true in your life today which is the one God's calling you to respond to I'm just going to give you a quiet moment soon we're going to turn to the Lord's table and we're going to uh, remember that God's grace is greater than sin because of what Christ has done so let's uh Let's take a moment and go to him. Let's confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Um,
Thank you that you never leave or forsake those who are yours. Thank you that you're gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. Thank you that you forgive wickedness and rebellion and sin. Thank you that though Moses knew far better, though he failed to trust you in this moment, Lord, in your grace, you brought him safely into your eternal kingdom. Lord, may each one of us in this room have that hope. Lord, keep us from sin. Help us run the race, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us, Lord. We are weak, but you are strong. Help us. We are frail. You are mighty. Help us. We are foolish, but you are wise. We turn to you in mercy, looking to your mercy, looking to all you've done. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.